Hey, this is Curtis Warren, the middle school pastor of Alderwood Community Church. Right now we're in a series called The Life of David, A Man After God's Own Heart. Our hope and prayer for you is that as you listen to these messages, you're able to examine your own heart as you strive to be an everyday follower of Jesus. What's up, guys? I'm back. After a long time of negotiating and paying off the right people, Curtis, let me back up here, man. It's great. But uh, yeah, so tonight we're going to learn a little story about King David, one a lot of you might know, one a lot of you might not, but we're going to learn about it anyway. So what's happened so far? I'm just going to get right into it. So, so far, David is king. Am I in a bad spot? Or... So David is king so far. You know, the Lord's blessing him with a bunch of victories, uh, an amazing kingdom. He conquers Jerusalem. Uh, he tries moving the ark into a... Um, a temple, he tries building a temple for the ark, and God says, no thanks, build you a dynasty, and he promises a Messiah in David's bloodline. So that's where we're at so far. Um, so let's open up in a quick word of prayer, and uh, I'll jump right to it. Father God, I want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for um, this passage that we'll be going over tonight. Lord, I pray that uh, it won't just fly over our heads. It'll be, I pray that it'll be a lesson that we learn um, now, and that we'll, we saw that first little crack in his armor. You know, so in, 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 in the second Samuel, that's what it was, <laughs> talking about how, you know, David has a bunch of wives and concubines, but look at all this great stuff he's doing. That's essentially what it said. You know, and it's, it, it's a little sliver of a thing. You'd almost miss it. You know, David has many wives and concubines, but then we go back into the victories there. Um, and at first it didn't seem like a big deal, you know, him having many wives, many concubines, him having, he does whatever he wants, right? Not really. So in that, we start to see how David is starting to fall into sin, how he's starting to fall into um, the, sin of, uh, the sin of entitlement, where he starts to think to himself, you know, God fulfilled his promise, I'm king, I know better, uh, I'm just going to do David and Bathsheba. So it all kind of starts, you know, David's in his palace one day, he goes out onto the roof of the, a roof of the palace, and he sees a woman bathing on the roof. Her name is Bathsheba. I don't know if that was on purpose or not. But he sees her bathing on that roof, so her place must have been pretty close to his palace for him to see her, and he, he likes what he sees. He likes what he sees, and he tells a messenger, hey, go to that woman and tell her to come here. And he does. He goes over there, and he, the messenger go, comes up to Bathsheba, and I mean, you do what the king says. It's not like she could say no. You know? So he sends somebody to go get her. When she comes to the palace, they, uh, they sleep together. After that, she goes home. She later tells David, hey, I'm pregnant. And it's David's. It's David's. And how do we know this? Because Bathsheba, she is a married woman. She is. David is a married man, as we learned earlier. Um, but Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, he's off fighting in a war. You know, he's away. And Uriah wasn't just some Joe Schmo of, you know, David's army. He was one of his mighty men. He was one of his right-hand men. Um, if you think King Arthur, he was one of the knights of that round table. He was, he was pretty high up there. So what does David try to do? He tries to cover up his sin. Instead of repenting right away, he tries to just cover it up, make it as if it never happened before. So what does he do? He sends for Uriah to come home. Uriah comes home, comes up to David. David says, hey man, go home, rest, you know, have, you know, rest up. So we, when you go back to battle, you, you won't be tired, you know, be with your wife and we'll all be good trying to cover it up, right? 
But Uriah doesn't do that. Uriah doesn't go home. He stays, you know, in Jerusalem that night, but instead he stays, he sleeps in front of the tent where the ark is kept in the, at that tent in order to protect it because, you know, there were people all fighting a war. The ark was in front of, or was inside of a tent, not a stone temple, so it was really easy to break into. So when, you know, he tells David that's what he did instead. I get it. Uh, anyway. We, we'll be fine. It's a strong building. It's only a thousand years old. Anyway, so when Uriah, t- let's get back to it, guys. Let's bring it back. So when Uriah tells David, no, I, I, I slept in front of the ark. That's, I didn't go home. David resorts to plan B. What does he do? He invites Uriah over again. He says, dude, come over. We'll have a good, you know, we'll hang out. We'll eat some food. We'll, we'll drink some wine. We'll have a good time. And David gets Uriah drunk in hopes that Uriah will go home Maybe not remember the whole night and think, oh, yeah, this is my baby. You know, Bathsheba's baby is mine. But that doesn't work. What does Uriah do this time? He goes back to that tent and sleeps in front of the ark to protect it. David is trying so hard to cover up what he did to make it as if it never happened. So he resorts to something even worse. Don't spoil the story. He resorts to something even worse. What does he do? He sends Uriah back out into the war and he sends a message to, to the generals and the commanders of the war. And he says, put Uriah up front where the fighting is fiercest. Up front where all, all the bad stuff is happening, where nobody else wants to be. Put him right up front. Put him right there. And then all of you guys just fall back. Everybody but Uriah, just leave. Just fall back, retreat, get out of there. Why does he do that? Because he wants Uriah to be killed. So he succeeds. Uriah dies. He's, he's vanquished. He has fallen. One of, his, one of David's mighty men, one of his right-hand men, somebody Uriah could probably call David a friend. David kills him. So Uriah is now dead, and David, David takes Bathsheba as his wife to cover up the fact that she is bearing his illegitimate child. Holy crap. What a load, right? You're right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> was it a few years ago, um, I was in the church's Christmas production upstairs, and I played the part of this young, angsty, 16-year-old kid. This was two years ago. I was 20 years old. And they're like, yeah, you look 16. Play this part. I'm like, thanks. Shave my beard. And I played the 16-year-old kid who was going through like this, this, uh, this gangster rap DJ phase, you know? Started listening to different kind of music. You guys wouldn't know. You're not 16 yet. You wouldn't know. Anyway. DJ Frizz. Yes, DJ Frizz. He started listening to different music. The character's name was Michael. He started wearing different clothes. He started talking back to his parents, lying to them, disrespecting them more often. Just the whole nine yards of what it's like when you're 16. Right? Leaders, you know. So my character, Michael, he went by a different name uh, in, in the show. He went by DJ Freeze. Uh, is what he went by. And he wanted to be called DJ Freeze because he wanted to be a rapper. That was his rapper name. It was Christmas time. It goes along with it, right? DJ Freeze. So what does he do? You know, any angsty 16-year-old who wants to be called DJ Freeze do? Goes and get a tattoo. Oh, right? Yeah, this kid's the best. He goes and gets a tattoo to, co- you know, to, to forever solidify he is DJ Freeze. He wants everybody to know when they're looking at his right shoulder. He is DJ Freeze, Right? And he goes out and gets it behind his parents' back. He knows well, he knows very well that he's 
not allowed to have a tattoo because he's living under his parents' roof. He was only 16 at the time. Um, and he thinks he can get away with it. Because he... Yeah, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. He wasn't allowed to get one. That was the point. Um, and he went out and got one because he thought he knew better. Figured I could just cover it up with a T-shirt, a jacket, whatever. Parents will never know. But as most free, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. Any, almost every single one, if it doesn't happen, it's a miracle. But any free back alley tattoo that you ever get is going to get infected, more than likely, deeper than just a surface. So what has happened? What happens to Michael? His tattoo gets infected. So what happens when you, you know? get a free tattoo. It gets infected, it puffs up, it's swollen, it hurts a lot. And what does he do? He tries to cool the swelling down with some, something cold, tries to cover it up, make it look not as bad. And then when he goes around his parents, he throws on his jacket just to hide it from them. Somehow, in the show, honestly, I don't even remember how, in the show, his parents found out about it. And they tell him, okay, show us. So he shows them. And they go, dude, that doesn't even say DJ Freeze. The dude misspelled it. It said DJ Frizz instead. So not only is his free tattoo infected, but it's not even spelled right. This guy messed up bad. And his parents were mad at him. His parents were so mad. He went up to his room. He got a, you know, yelled at by his parents. His mom didn't even want to talk to him after that. They were mad. And they punished him. Later on in the show, Michael comes down the stairs and he sits at the bottom of the stairs, his head down, and he is, in, he is regretting what he did. He was, he was, he was sorry, he was, and his parents saw that. And what happens? His dad walks up to him, and he holds out his hand and says, I love you, son, and I forgive you. And he grabs his hand, and they go have Christmas dinner. Now, that probably doesn't make a whole ton of sense, but back to the story. It'll make sense in a second here. So back to this story. Um, after... David takes Bathsheba for a wife. Nathan approaches David. And I threw this one up on a passage because, you know, it's, I, I want you guys to be able to read it on the screen. Da Nathan approaches David. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except for one ewe lamb he had bought. Just one. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shares his food, it drank from his cup, and it even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Aww. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep. He had hundreds of sheep. He didn't want to take one of his own sheep to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, what he did is he took that single ewe lamb. He took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who came to him. So he stole. He took something that wasn't his. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who, must, who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Sound familiar? Yep, yeah. yeah? Sounds like something David did, right? That's what Nathan told David. He said, that was you. You are the rich man. And he continues on with this. This is what the Lord says. Nathan tells David, out of your own household, I'm going to bring, you calamity on, bring calamity on you. So is Nathan telling David, this is how God's going to punish you now. Earlier, you saw that God and David would have conversations. David would talk to God. God would talk back and David could hear God. At this point, God's not doing that. He's talking to David through Nathan. He says, this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring 
calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret. What you did was in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. This is key. Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. Holy smokes. Nathan called out David. He said, you messed up big time. Why? Why did you do that? Now God's going to punish you. This is what's going to happen. And David says, I'm sorry. David knows what he did was wrong. That's what, that's what makes David a little bit different. That's what makes David a man after God's own heart is the fact that he still loved the Lord enough to admit that he was wrong and ask for forgiveness. And there's three application points that I want you guys to take away from this. Three, just three. Not hard to, to remember. You guys could write them down if you want. I think you should. That'd be good. And there's three application points I want you guys to take away from this because there are going to be times in our lives where our armor will crack and we won't even notice that it will crack and eventually it's going to build up and we're, we're going to have a great fall. You know, the first application point is sin, sin sneaks up when not dealt with. It is like a thief in the night. Just like with how it started with David, something so small that even in the Bible, it, it, wasn't, it didn't have a very big part but became huge. And, you know, he ended up committing adultery. He ended up committing murder. Uh, I once heard that it was said, like, um, the, the longer you kick your can down the road, the more poops inside of it when you pick it up. Kind of like that. If there's something going on in your life, I say it, okay? <laughs> I said it. I'm quoting myself. Anyway, so David, David had started this domino effect of sin way early on. You know, and he, he kept going with it because he, he thought he knew better. He was king. He could do whatever he wanted. He didn't, he didn't need God as much as he needed him before. So that was point number one. Sin sneaks up when not dealt with. Point number two, get yourself a Nathan. This, this, this will save your life, I kid you not. We need somebody, not specifically a Nathan. If you have somebody in your life who will do this and his name is Nathan, neat. We need someone who's going to ask us the tough questions. Just like Nathan called out David, we need somebody to call us out when we start to sin, when we start to fall, when we start kicking that can down the road. You know, in that show I did, nobody told my character he shouldn't get that tattoo because it was against what his parents allow him to do. Nobody told him he shouldn't get it because it was a bad idea. Nobody told David that he shouldn't sleep with Bathsheba. David came up to his messenger and his messenger knew who David was and the relationship he had with God. He came up to his messenger and said, go to that married woman over there and tell her to come to me. Messenger didn't look at him and go, dude, what are you doing? That's wrong. That is sinful. Nobody did that. When David sent that, that, that message to the generals and the commanders of his, of his army, nobody came, sent him a letter back saying, this is wrong. Uriah is going to die. You really want to murder him? You really want him to die? What you're going to do is wrong and you know it. Nobody told him that. Nobody. The only person that ever that called Nathan out and asked him those tough questions was Nathan. And guys, I'll tell you from my own experience, I found myself multiple times, multiple times. When I say multiple, I mean multiple, <laughs> like a lot. Like if the line was this, mine's like this because it went around the world, Okay. I wish I had somebody in my life who would call me out because it would have saved me so much more trouble. I wouldn't have gotten in as much trouble either. 
But it's tough to have that person in your life. It is tough to be vulnerable with them. Because you gotta, you got to be vulnerable with them for them to be able to call you out. They have to know you. And that's something we all struggle with. You know, we're humans. We're interesting creatures. We struggle with being open with people because we know they're going to correct us and we don't want to be corrected because we have this little issue of pride. Point number three, we need grace through repentance. Most of us in here could probably agree we all, we all hate admitting that we're wrong, right? Yeah, I, I can. I can admit that. I hate being told I'm wrong. But when we admit when we are wrong, what happens? When we repent, what happens? We learn. We become better at it. David, instead of repenting right away, what does he do? He, set, he tries to cover it up. Instead, he covers it up, thinking if nobody knows, it's okay. It doesn't matter. Why does he cover it up? Because it's easy. It is so much easier to cover it up than admit you're wrong. It is so much easier. But what has a better payout? Repentance. Thank you. Repentance has a better payout behind it. You get more through repentance and try and cover it up. Because you cover it up, nothing happens except nobody knows about it except you. And it eats at you. When you repent, God shows you his grace. God continues to love us and forgive us when we repent. And when we repent, what happens? We get a stronger relationship with God. We have a stronger bond with him. And that's, that's good. And guys, there are probably some people in this room who are struggling with one of those things. Maybe three, maybe two. I know I struggle with them. And I, I want you guys to know that, you know, this is what ASM is for. This is why we have, you know, our small groups, our leaders. We're here to be here for each other so we can be the Nathans in each other's lives when no one else will be outside of this. And there are probably somebody, some people in this room that struggle um, just with being vulnerable as well. You know, that's even hard for me to do. I didn't start opening up to my own fiance until like, I don't know, a year and a half into our relationship. And I think that's when we got engaged. Figured that would be a good idea. Yeah, she's here. <laughs> and yeah, guys, I grew up with a mindset of thinking of just toughing it out will be fine. You know, if I do something, I'll tough it out. I'll, I'll bear the consequences. But that's just another way of saying just cover it up. Just cover it up. It's, it'll be fine. It's easy to cover it up. Nobody needs to know. And this, this might be kind of a silly example. Um, and you guys might have heard about you know, multiple times. I love, I love my car. When I talk about my car, oh, I could talk your ear off. I start talking about my car around Megan. She plugs in some headphones. I keep going. I know she can hear me. And it's nothing fancy. It's not a fancy car. It's just a black hatchback. But I love that thing to death. I don't know why. It's just a thing that guys have in their DNA, I guess, with their cars. Like, I wash it. I wax it. A bird poops on it. I wash the whole thing again. I wax it. I vacuum out the inside just in case. Right? I'm one of those guys. I'm really picky. I'm going to get a black Corvette. There you go. There you go. Good job. Um, and about six months ago, I still drove that car, and Megan drove a piece of junk. It was a 97 Honda. It was not a Honda Civic. It was not a Honda Accord. It was the Honda Death Trap, <laughs> right? That thing had tires balder than a newborn. I'm not even kidding. Like, you reach down there like, holy crap, what do you do with this, you know? And one of my, one of my Nathans in my life, one of the Nathans in my life, one of my best friends, and I know he's one of my best friends because nobody else would have said it. He came up to me 
And he asked me, do you love Megan? What? Yeah, we're engaged. Yes, I love Megan. And he, he told me, if you truly love Megan more than you love your car, then why is she driving that death trap? And you have this super nice sports car, and you're not doing anything to try to get her out of that death trap. He's not saying give her your car. He's saying, you know, why aren't you doing anything to try to get her out, get her out of it? Maybe get her, help her out with tires or something, you know? And when he asked me this, I was mad. I was so mad. I wanted to hit him hard. He was, he's one of my best friends, and I've never, like, just wanted to reach across the table and just wring his neck. We were in a Starbucks. I couldn't do that. But then I thought about it for a second. I thought about it for a second. I thought, wait a minute. You're right. You know, like I said, it's kind of a silly example, but I thought about it and said, you're right. Like, I'm not doing anything to try to get Megan out of my car. If I really love Megan more than my car, I got to stop washing my car so much and try to do something to help her out more because she, she means more to me than that car. I wasn't showing it, though. And the reason why he told me this is not to try to push my buttons, not to try to see if I would actually hit him, because I wouldn't. I'd, I'd talk about it, but I wouldn't. But he told me that because he, he truly loves me as a friend. He's one, this is the reason why he's one of my best friends. And he wants to see me have a, a, an amazing relationship with Christ. And he asked me questions like that because he knows that that's the only way I can grow. Because he's got to point out all those cracks that are in my armor. All those cracks that are there. Even something as silly as that car, right? And that's why... We all need a Nathan in our life because that's what they're going to do. They're going to point out all those cracks in our armor. They're going to say, you got a crack there. you got a crack there. you got a crack there. And I'm telling you this because I love you, because I want you to have an amazing relationship with God, and I'm here for you, and that's what our leaders are for. That's what our small groups are for. Who knows? Maybe you guys are somebody's Nathan in their life. And sometimes it can be hard to step up even to that plate. So, yeah, uh, that's it. Just three application points, guys. Sin sneaks up when not dealt with. Get yourself a Nathan. And we need grace through repentance. So I'm going to close this out in a quick word of prayer. And then we'll get the band back up. And we will go from there. Father God, I want to thank you for, um, for King David that he was put on this earth. Uh, you know, him being a man after God's own heart. And just all the things that we could learn uh, just from his life. Somebody who's not even here anymore. We could learn so much from them. And um, Lord, I pray for all of us here who might be struggling with something in our, a sin in our life, who, who are just you know, kicking that can further and further down the road, um, and no, nobody is is calling us out on those cracks in our armor. Lord, I pray that you help us to to just really be vulnerable with you, especially, and and um, work on that in our lives because we we don't want to end up committing adultery and murder down the road. Um, so I pray these things in your name. Amen.